From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 41. We're back after a brief holiday hiatus, and we're coming back with one of the best closers in Major League Baseball today, so we're in for a real treat. If you want to develop faster and train better, you need the best gear. And with that said, we've got some really exciting news for you. The number one baseball brand in the world, Rawlings, has partnered with us at Cressy Sports Performance to make getting the best training gear for you more affordable. Simply head to Rawlings.com and use the coupon code Cressy20, that's C-R-E-S-S-E-Y 20 at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your order. This offer is only valid on select items, but there's a ton of great gear you'll save 20% on that will help you become a better player. So shop now. Again, that's Rawlings.com, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com, and enter the coupon code CRESSY20, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y 20 at checkout, and you'll get 20% off on your order. Some absolutely awesome baseball gear that we use every day with our pro guys. Today's guest is a left-handed pitcher who played high school baseball in Minnesota and was drafted by the Florida Marlins in the second round of the 2008 MLB draft. He made his major league debut for the Marlins at age 21 in 2001. He spent several years as a starter in the Marlins system, but was designated for assignment at the end of the 2016 spring training and claimed by the Padres. He quickly became a fixture at the back end of the Padres bullpen in 2016 and went on to lead the National League with 82 appearances. He averaged 11.2 strikeouts per nine innings on the year and posted a 2.92 ERA. He also became the sixth Padres reliever ever to strike out more than 100 batters in a season. Of all Major League Baseball pitchers, he held left-handed batters to the lowest batting average, 124. In 2017, he was selected as the Padres' representative for the All-Star Game, and he wound up becoming their closer in July, going on to save 21 games over the rest of the season. In 2018, he was again named to the All-Star Game, and shortly thereafter, he was traded to the Cleveland Indians, where he became the closer. He's been their closer since 2018, becoming an All-Star again in 2019, he also averaged more than 13 strikeouts per nine innings this past season. He now has 89 career saves. Please welcome to the show, Brad Hand. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited because uh, we've got two off-seasons together now, but I feel like I still have a lot to learn about like your history um, beyond just what we see day-to-day in the gym and also watching on TV. So I'm curious, you're a Minnesota guy. There are not a yeah. lot of Minnesota guys who make it to pro ball, let alone thrive in pro ball. So I want to, I want to dig into like your backstory a little bit. You were a multi-sport athlete in high school, correct? Yes. And what, what were your sports? I played uh, baseball, obviously, and then hockey and football as well. I got you. And did you do those all the way through high school? Were they ones that kind of tapered off as time went on? I played hockey all the way up to my senior year. Um, and then football, I played all the way. I didn't play my senior year because I was doing my, uh, you know, college visits for baseball at that point. How does, I mean, I got to assume the hockey calendar in Minnesota is off the charts crazy. Like, was it the kind of thing where hockey season was like playoffs while baseball practice was already starting or how did it work? Yeah. I mean, in Minnesota, obviously, um, everybody there plays hockey. And even if it's not, you know, with your high school or whatever, you're going out on the lake or in the backyard on the pond to, you know, play hockey. So, um, I feel like everybody in Minnesota does everything 
for hockey year yeah. round mm-hmm. where, you know, I just kind of put on the skates when the first day of tryouts and that would be the first time that I skated all year where I was doing, you know, baseball stuff, um, you know, all, you know, fall and winter traveling and trying to get scouts to see me somehow. Absolutely. Do you, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Maine and we've coached a lot of guys in Massachusetts. Usually like the high school baseball season starts like the third Monday in March. The first two weeks is shoveling snow off the field while you throw off turf mounds indoors. Like when does the Minnesota high school baseball season even start? Are we talking like late April before you can even get on fields? Um, I felt like we always started maybe middle or like beginning of April. I know we had like our tryouts. It was always right around my birthday, which is March 20th. So mm-hmm. um, for some reason, we'd always have tryouts that week but it would always be indoors and then if we got lucky enough in the and the concrete outside and the parking lot was covered <laughs> with snow we would go throw out there instead of in the gym but um you know those first few weeks were definitely in in the gym or throwing off i don't even think we even had turf mounds we just threw off the little raised up whatever <laughs> um and did it did it in the gym so it's definitely it's definitely an uphill battle being from you know those colder states do you think it was a blessing in disguise though i mean anyone who's ever played in like you know whether chicago or minnesota or you know what we see in the northeast like with guys up there like you've got to throw in some miserable conditions i mean it's 30 degrees out you can't feel your hands and you're lucky if you get like five or six starts before the like the spring season ends before you go to summer ball like was that a blessing in disguise like learning to pitch a in miserable weather conditions, but B also when it's kind of like a shorter season and a lot more pressure on every outing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I felt like I kind of forgot what it was like to pitch in cold situations after being in Miami and San Diego. And then this year in Cleveland was the first time I've ever really had to pitch in it since high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my, my first start my senior year, it was, you know, 30 degrees and snowing outside. So, um, and I'm trying to, you know, get seen by scouts and I'm out there trying to grind in, in the snow. So, um, I don't know if I really got me ready to pitch in cold because I mm-hmm. totally don't remember what it was like when I, we yeah. went there in, in March this year and opened the year in Minnesota. That's right. Um, you know, I don't ever remember pitching in that cold weather when I was in high school, but I obviously did. So it's not like riding a bike at all then. <laughs> uh, it might have, might have to be part that I moved to Florida as well and, my, yeah. my, uh, I'm used to different kind of weather nowadays. Your blood stand out. It was 58 yeah. degrees this morning and people were yeah. panicking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things I'm curious about, like, I know one of the challenges that we've seen over the years. Um, so you, you were a second rounder. So obviously you're, you're a co- coveted pick, had tons of attention, whether it's, you know, area scouts or cross checkers coming in to see you. Was there a lot of pressure on you kind of like during hockey season that senior year to like, throw bullpens for them and do a lot of like exposure type stuff or is that something that didn't happen as much back then um I never had to do any of that I just kind of you know I did like the the national showcases or whenever they were um the perfect game stuff would travel the warmer weather to do that but I never like threw for any you know scouts or anything like that I had like thinking back and I didn't even really know like how high in the draft I was going to go or how good I really was. I don't know if my parents kind of like just didn't let me know that how good I was or whatever, but um I didn't know if I was even going to get drafted. It was like the day before the draft. I saw one of the, you know, the mock drafts or whatever on the computer and it had, they had the twins taking me in like the supplemental first round or something. And I was like, wow, 
I had no idea like I was even talked about like going that high. I had no clue. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know I had a bunch of scouts and stuff at my high school games, but I didn't know if they were like college scouts or, mm-hmm. you know, pro scouts or I didn't really know how the whole system worked until, you know, obviously I got into pro ball. That's 2008. That's kind of like the, I mean, I guess Twitter was around. Twitter wasn't what it is today. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I remember actually Tom Kohler was talking about, I think a Nick Saban quote where he said he actually has to unrecruit kids because they've been told how awesome they are for so long that he needs to like bring them back down to earth. Like it's unheard of for a guy who becomes a second rounder to not realize how good he is nowadays. So yeah, I, mean, I guess ignorance was bliss 11 years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was probably a better thing, you know, now, like nowadays these get, kids know that they're good and they're i don't know showing off or whatever but um, easy to get comfortable yeah for sure i mean i was just trying to have fun play baseball and you know get better at the time absolutely no i'm I'm curious like looking back on your your own like personal scouting report of yourself like like i said a lot of guys from minnesota don't make it to the highest level and i mean you made it to the big leagues at 21 what differentiated you as as a high school what guy what made you a second rounder out of high school in your eyes um, I was, I was a fairly, you know, bigger and stronger kid when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously I was left-handed and I th- would get it up to 95 in high school. So that probably helped me out a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, my mechanics were, you know, not the best. Um, <laughs> but I was a two pitch guy. I only had fastball, curveball in high school. And, um, you know, I would always, but walks were always the thing that hurt me when I was in high school. <laughs> they still kind of did like early in my career in the, in the big leagues and the minor leagues. But, um, yeah, I'd probably just say in being big and strong and, um, you know, having that velocity at that age. Yeah. And 95 was a much bigger deal 12 years ago than it was oh, yeah. now. I mean, pretty much everybody seems to have 95 when you look at national events, but it wasn't like a lefty on every street corner throwing 95 in 2008. Yep. So yeah, exactly. What, what changed like as you, cause obviously you drafted 18, but you're in the big leagues three years later. What was the, you know, the biggest adjustment high school to minor leagues, minor leagues to big leagues, um, you know, and then we'll talk about how it's changed once you were in the big leagues. How did it evolve? Yeah, I know I'm on, I know. my first, like, full season in 2009, I was in Greensboro, and I struggled, like, really bad that first half. Um, you know, I don't know what it was. or um, I just had a bunch of walks, you know, it was just getting hit around a little bit, and it just, like, everything was falling apart and I had a, I had a good pitching coach that year, uh, Charlie Corbell, where I still kind of keep in touch with him. Um, you know, he always gives me crap. I was just a, you know, I was an 18 year old kid. Um, you know, not, I don't think I had, I was enjoying being by myself and being, you know, alone at 18. Um, and then that second half of the year in 2009, I really, you know, started to figure some stuff out. And, um, you know, if you look at my numbers, the first half, second half that year, I think I really started to, you know, get better that second half. You know, he was, that pitching coach was super hard on me, but, um, at the time I probably thought he wasn't the coolest pitching coach, but, um, you know, now I'm really, you know, thankful for what he did because I think he helped me out a lot and, um, you know, just made me focus more and, um, you know, really concentrate on everything, just not at the field, outside of the field and all that stuff. I gotcha. Was there, was there mechanical changes? Were there pitch mix changes like right when you got to pro ball or was it more of the mindset like, Hey, we took this guy pretty high. Let's leave him alone and see how he does. 
Yeah, um, I mean, my mechanics still to this day aren't the cleanest thing you've ever seen, but um, they just kind of like, they didn't try to change me per se. They just tried to calm some of it down, make it more simple. Um, you know, just gave me a few keys to work on. Um, you know, I know when I would start, you know, missing balls, arm side high, that, uh, you know, my front shoulder would be flying wide open and everything would kind of sail out that way. So, um, you know, one of my keys that's, you know, still to this day is, um, you know, staying in my lane and keeping my direction towards home plate. Um, you know, that's one of the, one of the big keys for me. Absolutely. And then you also, when did the, the kind of the change from the curveball to the slider happen? Was that earlier or was it later on in your minor league career? Uh, I never threw any sliders in the minor leagues. It happened when, you know, my last year there in Miami, um, I'd been kind of back and forth from, you know, bullpen starting. And I felt like when I was in the bullpen, the curveball was just a tougher pitch for me. It'll be able to, you know, consistently throw for a strike. Like I'd be able to, you know, maybe get some swings at it in the dirt, but I could never like 2-0 when I was behind the count. Like I had no confidence in that pitch throwing it for a strike. So I wanted like a smaller breaking pitch that was easier to throw for a strike. Um, so started playing catch with a slider, messing around with a, you know, a bunch of different grips and, uh, the catcher there was Mathis at the time and he hadn't, he hadn't known that I'd been, you know, messing around with it, playing around with it. And we were actually in San Diego. Um, and I came into the game and he was catching and he randomly called it one time, like knowing I'd been messing around with it. I was like, all right, I'll throw it. <laughs> and it <laughs> happened to be like pretty good. I think I ended up striking the guy out on slider and. You know, I just kind of started mixing it in a little more and more. And then, um, you know, that year, year ended and that following year was the year that I ended up getting picked up by San Diego. And, you know, after that, I was just basically fastball slider mixed in like 5% curveballs. Um, you know, the pitch kind of just took off for me. How do you, um, I know there are different perspectives on how, you know, to, to throw both curveball and sliders, right? I know some guys, you know, with a curveball, you know, still just rip it. Other guys feel like they really have to like get to the front of the baseball. And it's, it's kind of the same way with a slider. Like what was your mindset when you threw the curveball that, you know, basically helped you to get your draft drafted into the big leagues, but you ultimately scrapped what, how did you view it? Yeah. I mean, I would always, my curveball, I'd always feel like I want to get, you know, on top of it and, you know, throw it out front. Um, but I, I had always like, I felt like my arm slot would always climb on my curveball because I wanted to get on top of it so much. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's when, you know, one of the things that, you know, hitters might have start picking up on and not swinging at it as much as I would, I would get a little bit higher on that than I would in my fastball because I'm trying to get on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that slider, I'm probably the same slot as my fastball, which probably makes it more effective for me. Absolutely. Now, when you, when you throw the slider, um, you know, there, there are guys that manipulate it. There are other guys that just like grip it and rip it and trust the, the positioning of their hands. Where, where do you kind of stand on that, that spectrum? Uh, I just kind of grip it and rip it. And I got a weird, I mean, I kind of got my, found this grip that I like that mm-hmm. is kind of different than, you know, most people. I hold it kind of the same as my two seam fastball, mm-hmm. maybe just a little bit, uh, on the side, but I just grab that and, you know, try to rip it as hard as I can. And I'm, I'm trying to, I personally think that I'm trying to throw it straight until like the very end, like I'm thinking fastball, fastball. And then at the very end, when I'm out front, I rip like, rip it hard. Um, 
you know, the good ones that I throw, I feel like I'm, you know, looking at the uh, right-handed hitters, you know, back foot and trying to throw a fastball there is what I, what I'm thinking, but I'm really probably not doing that with my hand a little bit, but, um, you know, obviously there's different times where, you, you know, early in the count, you might, you know, kind of just flip one in there maybe a little bit and you, it's not as sharp, but, um, or behind the count to like a two Oh, like they're not looking for a slider. If you just spin one up there, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's still as, as effective. Do you think, I mean, I, I'm, once you have a good slider or really any good breaking pitch, I feel like you become like a source that all the guys go to and ask. Like I know watching Max around the facility, like, you know, one of his bits of advice to guys is you gotta like throw it a lot, throw it in catch play, be comfortable spinning the baseball. Like mm-hmm. when guys come to ask you about sliders, like what's your, what's a, your, your biggest recommendation to them and then B like, what mistakes do you see them, you know, making the most with it? Um, you know, I feel like guys just try to, you know, be too cute with it and try to make it, um, uh, you know, do more than it really should. I mean, sliders, um, you know, most, most slot, I mean, I feel like I got a, you know, pretty big breaking slider. A lot of sliders are, you know, smaller breaking. So, um, you know, you just got to have that, you find a grip that, you know, works for you and, um, you know, don't be trying to make it move too much because you want it to look exactly like your fastball. You want it to, you know, come out of the same you know, that same tunnel, the same arm slot, and then in the same arm speed as your fastball. So you shut it, you know, keep it the same as that and um, trust it. Do you try to, I mean, do you try to keep it like small and tight, like in catch play, or will you look to make it a little bit bigger? Um, I I try to keep it small and tight because I know in the game it's probably going to get a little bit bigger. Um, You know, so when I'm playing catch, I try to keep them – you know, I try to keep my hand on top of the ball and, and, and make them smaller. I don't really want to see the break in it because, um, I mean, I know it's going to break. So I don't really want to see this big old loopy thing because then I know it's, you know, I'm getting, you know, underneath it or I'm getting around it. Um, you know, if I see something that's, you know, pretty small and pretty late, you know, that's what I like to see when I'm playing catch. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm going to shift gears. You, you alluded to the delivery um, and the delivery has obviously changed over the years it's an interesting delivery. Like you, you can look at it and to be honest, like for lack of a better term, it almost looks like apathetic. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's very short in the stride. Um, you know, there's obviously a fair amount of deception. Um, funny story. One of our other pro guys, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of our other pro guys told me that a teammate of his after facing you once went to his GM and said, you need to trade for that guy so that I never have to face him again in my career. So <laughs> it, it clearly makes people very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. what, do, what do you think it is? Is it that it's so closed off? Is that it's, is it that the front side is like a little bit higher and you know, it's disguised? Like, what is it about a, a seemingly like apathetic looking delivery that, that gets, yeah. gets on guys so quickly? I mean, I don't really know what it is. Um, I know that like the, the guy that used to call the games for San Diego would, you know, he would call my leg kick like I was starting a motorcycle where I'm just like <laughs> trying to kick it. So, um, he was like calling a game and he was like, they had, they were playing my delivery in slow mo and he was like, Oh, there he goes starting the motorcycle <laughs> and then he's firing it. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, it's kind of funky. I think I'm, you know, real slow, um, your real slow leg kick and then everything's slow and then it, you know, maybe kind of just jumps and, gets going fast. I don't know, you know, what it is. I know like uh we've had like Blake Trinan and Mike Soroka on the podcast before and Trinan actually made this comment and then Soroka commented on it afterwards. He said you, you can't generate velocity until front foot strike. Is that almost a cue for you to not be too aggressive too early? Like it's slow, slow, slow go. Yeah. I mean 
I think that's one of the things that, you know, will get a lot of guys out of whack is when they're trying to get create velocity or create arm speed, um, you know, before that front foot is down because it just, it just throws your timing off. I feel like you just wait for everything to, you know, like generate your power and then you get that foot down and then everything just goes from there is the way, you know, I kind of feel. Right on. And uh, I'm, I'm actually really curious about this and we haven't talked as, as much maybe about in season side of things. So you had, you had, you've gone over 80 appearances before, you know, you've been over 70 multiple times, um, but you did it after, you know, coming up largely as a starter, um, you know, and, and made that transition largely in, in 2015 into 16, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. How hard was it to, for you to adjust your throwing program going from a five day rotation to a scenario where you literally are probably going to get hot in some capacity, like two thirds of the games in the season? Yeah. Um, you know, I probably didn't change my throwing program, uh, very much. Um, I felt like maybe if I, you know, hadn't thrown in a few days out of the bullpen, I'd maybe stretch it out a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, you know, during catch play, but, uh, out of the bullpen, you just really got to, you know, listen to your arm and, you know, kind of it's day by day, you know, it's going to change every day as a starter. It might be a little, little different, but, um, you know, if you need a little bit of a blow, you've been throwing a lot, like you don't need to blow it out and play catch for to 120 feet. You can play catch to 90 feet. And, you know, as long as you're doing whatever you need to do to get ready to, you know, be available for the game. Um, you know, those are the, those are the ones that matter later in the day. So, um, just trying to save your bullets and, and, and be smart about it. Do you, I mean, one of the things I, I always, uh, like lean on veteran bullpen guys who have been through it a lot before is like, what advice do you give to up and coming arms? Like when a, when a kid comes up, you know, to the, to the big leagues for the first time and he's in the pen, like what advice do you give them about like just understanding, like listening to your body, communicating with pitching coaches slash managers on usage? Like, do you have like hard and fast rules that you like to apply? Like are there days where you'll go in and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm not hot today. Or are you kind of um, in a scenario where you feel like they come to you and you have a discussion about it? Um, so I'm uh, like, I never want to be told that I'm down. I want to be available every single day. Uh, you know, so I've had a few times this year where, you know, they had told me that I was down before the game and I was, you know, trying to fight my way into that game. Because <laughs> um, I always felt like if I if my arm feels fine, um, there's no reason that I, you know, shouldn't be available to pitch that day. No, I don't like if, if I've pitched three days in a row and my arm feels, you know, good. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest to the pitching coach and the, you know, the bullpen coach. If I'm, if I'm good to go, I'm good to go. Um, you know, there might be situations where I pitch two days in a row and that third day, for some reason, it just, just barking. I'm not, you know, bouncing back that day or, um, you know, those are the days that, you know, you might be like, Hey, I might, I might need a blow. But when I was, when I was younger, I would, I would take that ball every single day and, you know, I wouldn't complain about it i wanted to be in every single game especially that that year i threw in 82 games i was i knew i was like right up there uh like top of the league and in games pitch and i wanted to you know keep myself up there so i kept towards that end of the season i kept wanting to get more games get more games i wanted to you know lead the league and appearances and, and you know, it's, there's something to be said. I mean, you punched out over a hundred guys out of the bullpen three years in a row. Like, I don't know how many people did that between 16, 17 and 18. I can't imagine it was like a, a really like big number of people, but I mean, it speaks to the durability side of things. Um, yeah. 
in being a strikeout picture though, are there times when you are still going in there and trying to pitch to contact or are you one of those guys that is pu- trying to punch everybody out? Uh, as a bullpen guy, I'm trying to punch everybody out now. You um, you know, when I'm, when I was yeah. starting, I'm, you know, I'm trying to pitch contact. Uh, but ever since I've been in the bullpen, I've, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get three strikeouts as quick as I can. Uh, it's working. I mean, I'll start every year since you've been there. So that's a good sign. What about like the actual training side of things? Like we talked about throwing, um, you know, are you a guy that has specific days of the week? Are you a guy that lifts on certain days of the each series? How do you attack like your in-season workload stuff? Yeah. So the way, I mean, the way that I've done it since I've, I've gotten over to the Indians is they've, they've done Tuesday, Tuesday, Friday, uh, workouts for, um, you know, the relievers. So, you know, that's what I've been doing. It's kind of the same as what I'd, you know, you know, done in the past before I've got over there. Usually it's like once a series. So you play, you know, two, three game series, which is a week long. You're getting two workouts in. Um, but, uh, we always do, uh, total body. So Tuesday, Friday, a total body. And then obviously we're doing our, you know, running and, and sprint work. Um, you know, when we go out to play catch. No doubt about it. Um, I'm, I'm curious for you, like, um, how deep do you dig into the analytics? Cause you know, you've gone from, I guess the old regime of the Marlins, which wasn't well known for having that at their fingertips. And mm-hmm. then you've gone to the, you know, the Padres and now obviously onto the Indians where, you know, they're known as a, a very progressive forward thinking, you know, crew. They, they give you a lot of resources at your fingertips. How deep do you personally like to dive into that side of things or are you a guy that likes to stay away from it? Um, I wouldn't say I'd like to stay away from it. I'm just haven't, you know, really got into it that much. Yep. Um, you know, I'm curious about it, but yep. you know, I would, I would need like, I wouldn't know what I'll be looking for, what I'm be, you know, the numbers I'm looking at. Yep. So, um, you know, that's one of the things, you know, I've, I've thought about doing more, um, you know, going into this year when we get to spring training is, you yep. know, sitting down with some of those guys and, you know, just telling them to, you know, just kind of, show me what's going on, show me yeah. what these numbers mean and then just have them, you know, kind of explain to me how, you know, maybe I could use that information yeah. because I don't, I've never, you know, had anybody, uh, you know, really tell me how to use that information. Um, so it's one of the things that I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm interested about and, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, where the game's going. So, yep. um, Obviously, if if there's something that you know can help you, you know, be a better pitcher, or, you know, get more outs or whatever it is, um, you know, you, if you're saying you don't like looking at that, um, then I I feel like you're only going to be hurting yourself. At I feel like Cap's warming you up to it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, maybe maybe I'll look at these numbers and I'll look at all this information. I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I can really use this. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes uh, it tells it, you um, what you're already doing too. It justifies, yeah, you know. Yeah, so if I can have somebody explain it to me and, you know, kind of understand it a little more, I might be able to, you know, use some of that information. I got you. Well, we got, we got a, a couple months before a per date, so we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll chip away <laughs> at it. Um, one of the things that there's, there's a saying, I actually heard it from a, a pro boxer we trained. He said, when you win, everybody wins. When you lose, you lose alone. That pretty much describes the life of a big league closer. Like yeah. no one, no one talks about you. If you do your job, everybody hates you on Twitter. If you give up a ground ball signal that scores a run. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, was that a hard thing to actually take on? It's a lot different than being a starter or a middle reliever where it kind of just all shakes out in the box for, um, like, was that a tough adjustment for you when you actually switched into a closers role? 
I mean, it, it, it's for sure a, a not a good feeling when you do blow a save. Um, you know, obviously you're coming in there and you got, you got one job to do and, mm-hmm. um, just close the game out. And, uh, when you do blow one or, you know, something goes wrong and you feel like you let your whole team down and everybody's kind of looking at you like, wow, you're the guy that, you know, just cost us this game. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, that's why we play 162 games. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, when you're a closer, when you're in that position, you're gonna get, um, I mean, nobody's perfect. You're gonna have those games where, you know, you do, you know, blow, blow the save or whatever. But, um, I, I've always been the guy that as soon as the game's over, as soon as you, you know, leave the clubhouse out, you, you forget about it and, yeah. um, you just turn the page and you got another game the next day. So, um, it's tough for sure to, you know, find out, you know, what works and how to forget about it. But, um, you know, it's, I feel like we, you just lean on your teammates and, you know, your teammates are going to support you no matter what. And, uh, obviously when you do, uh, blow the save is the one time the media wants to talk to you after the game as a closer. <laughs> so, um, usually after those games, you got to wait for them to, you know, ask you what happened. <laughs> No doubt. What's, what's your game day routine look like when, you know, so you get to the park, seven o'clock game, how are you attacking it both like pregame, but also like when do you start getting ready on, you know, you know, basically preparing in case there is a save opportunity? Yeah. I mean, pregame, I'm pretty, I mean, I'll get to the ballpark probably about, you know, two o'clock ish. Um, you know, maybe get something to eat, uh, work out if I need to work out. Um, you know, maybe look at some the if it's a, the new series we got our pitchers meeting, so we can do the scout report stuff like that. Um, and then before the game, I, I stay in the clubhouse for the first few innings, um, kind of get stretched out by the trainers, do some stuff in the training room, um, go in the weight room and start starting to do a little few things in there, and then I'll head down to the bullpen uh, in the fourth inning, um, then just watch the game, hang out down there for a little bit. Uh, you know, it's fun being down in the, there in the bullpen with your, 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 uh, other guys. You're basically just talking about the game, maybe not talking about the game, just talking about whatever. Uh, and then usually like the, the seventh inning, I'll start, you know, moving around a little bit more, maybe foam roll, um, do some, you know, shoulder, shoulder stuff, get, get everything moving and, and, you know, getting ready to pitch, hopefully. I think the things people forget about too is, you know, I always, I get, I get made fun of by our staff for dropping this line a lot, but small hinges swing big doors. Like, I don't think people mm-hmm. realize that when you go through like that prep work every single game for 162 games, even if you don't pitch, it's a good opportunity to get ahead on a lot of things. Too many yeah. guys kind of like wait until they have to throw and then it's take a, take a quick shot of Red Bull, like, shake your arm out with a few circles and then go through five pitches and you're in a game like there's actually a lot more that goes on behind the scenes to get to that point yeah i mean it's it's when my first few years in san diego when i didn't know like what inning i was going to be pitching in it's definitely a little more um you know you're on your toes a little more you never know you can't really have a routine because you could be pitching the second inning you could be pitching the you know the ninth so you got to be ready the whole time um, those situations, you just gotta, you know, watch the game and see how, what's happening in the game. If it's a situation where, you know, you maybe, if maybe your name getting called, uh, you might start moving around a little earlier. No 
Christ, man. All right, well, we get to this point in the, the show, and we like to kind of go through a lightning round. So um, qualities of the coaches you've had and liked, who's been the most impactful for you, and, and why has that been the case? Yeah, I'd say they're, they're just, like, very personable. Um, you know, they're kind of like one of the guys, you know, yeah. that are very easy to talk to. Um, you know, you don't feel like you're always tiptoeing around them. Um, you can be yourself and, um, I feel, I feel like those are the, those are the type of coaches that, you know, I've enjoyed. I like it. All right. Favorite pitcher to watch. This can be like somebody that you actually like to watch because you can learn how to hit, how to approach hitters from like Kinsler said he liked watching Kyle Hendricks because they pitch very, very similarly, or it can just be someone you enjoy for a million other reasons. Man. That's a tough one. I mean, I've always enjoyed watching Kershaw pitch those those years I had in San Diego. It was always it was always fun to watch him. There you go. That's not a bad one. Pretty good slider too. All right. Uh, what about uh, advice to a teenage Brad Hand? If you could go back in time and give him one tidbit of information, what would it be? Uh, work on your work on your fastball command at a younger age. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is this is one I'm actually really intrigued. What's more important, stuff or command? Uh, stuff. Nowadays, I, I figured that would be the the answer from a guy with like a ninety seven mile hour fastball. Yeah, who just who just talked about the lack of fastball command and then a wipeout slider. <laughs> um, so you can I, get away with stuff. Yeah, I feel like stuff gets you there. Command maybe is when you're at your best. But yeah, um, I feel like that's been seventy five percent of the answer. We got a lot of command guys in there too. So yeah, C-Shack said command. You can give him a hard time at the gym tomorrow about it because um, he doesn't have he doesn't have the ninety five anymore. He's a, he's just a crafty righty. I hope he's, yeah. li- I hope he's listening to this. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this is awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time and doing this. Uh, folks can find you on both Instagram at, and Twitter. It's bhand22. Um, again, thanks so much for taking the time, Brad. This is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, We'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.